Welcome to a radical discussion of independence, free will, liberty, and the left-hand path. This is Damon Ossoff, your host, Paul Frederick. We should be live now. All right. All right. Well, hey, welcome to Saturnian Sessions on Damon Ossipay, where we explore the groovy dark vibes that descend upon the unwary who stay up too late on a Saturday night. And tonight, my guest is my old friend Aaron Powell from the band Awen in Dallas. Hello. Hey, Aaron. How are you doing? Yes, sir. I'm well. Thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, it's great to great to talk to you again. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 been a long time, and I'm uh, I'm glad to join you on this. Yeah, me too. So you're about to have a new album drop, huh? We are, yeah, October the fourth um, on the German label Trisol. We have a new album called The Hollow in the Stone that's coming out, and we're all super excited about it. We've been working on this for years now, and it's it's the strongest material that we've done. So we can't wait to have it come forth into the world. I can't wait either. And I think you're absolutely right. What you've allowed me to take a listen to, um, I got to say, this is like, I mean, this is like very, it's, 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 this is, this is um, all in grown up, I guess, from what, what I'm, what I'm recalling. And the last I right. recall is it was like a while ago. But I mean the, um, the 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 composition of these songs, the recording and everything, um, and especially I'm going to talk about the song, the title track, the "Hollow in the Stone." I mean, it's just it's just it's beautiful, and it sounds to me. You got to update me on your instrumentation because it sounds like you've got acoustic guitars and bass going on in this. Is that, am I hearing that right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have a, a fairly new member. Um, you hadn't met him before, but his name is Wes Radvansky and he's um, our guitarist and bass player and he's amazing. And I'm, I'm, I can't, I can't say enough about his talent and what he's, what he's added to the project. Oh, it's actually, he, writes, I mean, he, writes, he writes all of the guitar lines and, and everything. And it's okay. just, I'm always amazed whenever he has something new that he's brought up. He's like, Hey, what do you think about this? And it's always amazing. <laughs> Oh, I think it's great. It's like a new dimension for Alwyn. And it's just so smooth and haunting and, and, and dark and just really, um, really wonderful. So I'm trying to make, so I guess let's like back up, back up and, and, and get some of the history here. So sure. I'm trying to remember, when did, when did you and I first meet? Well, jeez, uh, I know that, um, Alwyn did their first show and Verdandi did their first show together in Houston. But I think we had met uh, a couple of years previous to that, if I'm correct. Okay. And so what was that? What was that? Was that uh, 2004 or something that that show happened? So maybe, maybe we had met each other, maybe 2002, 2001. Does that sound right? That sounds very possible. That sounds very yeah. possible. So, you know, I'm, Okay, 2004 is when Asmodeus X released um, Morningstar. That's kind of like my, my uh, anchor 
This is one of my anchors. Mm-hmm. This, I'm sure you understand this as you get older. You say like you anchor yourself to time based upon when you released such and such a CD. Um, yep. So morning and I remember when it came out. Right, and then and, and so we were talking. I know we were like playing shows around. We were playing shows. I, I think we like maybe we met in Dallas. Maybe we played a show in Dallas or something. And I we think were so. talking there. And then we did the show with Redondi, which is the neo folk project that I was doing with Alice Carl's daughter, and mm-hmm. and and you and Alwyn, and that was at um, a place in Houston called the Mausoleum, or maybe something else. It's one of those places there that just changes, you know, every few years it like changes its name. Yeah, yeah, and I, I remember the uh, I. You know, I'd, I'd never been there before. We actually showed up to do the concert, and, and as soon as I as I walked in, we walked in together, and we looked down, and and the the design and the flooring was all Phil folks. And I was like, oh well, this is mm. going to be a, that's a good omen. It's going to be a great yeah. show, and it was a great show. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's totally right. I forgot about that. <laughs> but yeah, that was an awesome show. So, and and I remember. Um, I, I remember going over really well. Um, and there's not a lot of needle folk in 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 Houston. Um, yeah, it wasn't then, and 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 still really, you know, really isn't now. Uh, but I mean, it it, re- it went over really well. I remember we had a really good time with that. And you had a new album out then, right? Uh huh. Yeah, we we just uh, come out with the the first album, The Bells Before Dawn. I think I think we just finished recording it, but it wasn't released yet because Deus picked it up and put it out. I think the next year, maybe. Oh, okay. I remember my my memory is centers around the song, the Cairn and the Crossing. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the Cairn and the Crossing. Yeah. Yeah, I that remember was, that was. Go ahead. Uh, I remember. Um, when I heard it on the album, I remembered it from the show. So that's always a, a strong, it's always a strong signal when you hear something and then later on you recognize it after only hearing it once, you know? Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was one that, that came to us and uh, was just kind of, it kind of wrote itself and, you know, some of the, some of the best things do. And then we, we ran the, I said, well, why don't we just run that guitar backward? And we did. And that's how that's how we got the sound for that particular song after we'd recorded it. <laughs> right. And then who who else do you have in the band? So our lineup right now is um me and my wife Katrine, uh Per Nilsson and Wes Redvansky. And sometimes we have a bagpipe player which joins us for live shows and that's Glenn Bailey. Oh, that's so radical. Yeah, <laughs> that's always that's always fun. <laughs> the crowd usually that doesn't know what to that whenever they hear the pipes fire up, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that gets all the Scotch Irish people in the audience getting all they get all excited. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's great. Yeah, you flowing. see it too. You, you see you see the eyes light up, and then they just start to, you know <laughs> they just get entranced by it. You know, there's there's something there's something in the blood there that just kind of draws them to that sound. <laughs> right. It always did for me. So so uh, whenever. Um, I found out that he was actually learning to play the pipes. I, I couldn't wait to get him involved in the project for live shows because, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a riling kind of instrument. <laughs> oh yeah. That's amazing. So I remember, I remember Katrine and I remember, mm-hmm. um, Per, 
Was, was he no. down when, when we did that show? Uh, he didn't come down for the show, but we were already working with him. Um, Eric was in the band at the time, and uh, he, he has the, uh, the band Unicode machine also, to, just to focus on that. So he hasn't been uh, involved in the band for, for a while now. Okay, so that happened. So we've established that that was a while ago. So, I mean, even the, <laughs> even the, most, liberal, <laughs> the most liberal estimate, you know, if I think it's a little bit later, it's still like beyond the 10, year, the 10 years ago mark. So, so what's been right. happening since then? Have you had other releases since then? Yeah. Yeah, we, um, we had an album before this one uh, called uh, Grim King of the Ghosts, and it, was, it came out on the label Old Europa Cafe out of Italy. Yeah, and that was kind of a that was kind of a theme album um, with the title track and uh, the concept of the Grim King uh, ran throughout uh, a number of the the tracks. So um, we used uh, we that was kind of a transition point too from where you had heard us previously, where we started to work in more uh, kind of delicate acoustic guitar work, and we have a an old pump organ that I have in my house that we brought in on that album, and it's featured on several songs too. So we're kind of broadening our instrumentation from that album. And then uh, it kind of, it really works as a progression to this new album. I think you can, you can hear the, how it's really matured, as you said. (laughs) Yeah. And then you, um, and you did, and you've done some touring too, right? And you go tour overseas. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've, uh, we've played several shows over in uh, Germany and Denmark and England and Italy and um, this year we're we're going back and we're going to play Germany and Belgium for the first time. And I'm excited to visit Belgium. Oh wow, it's awesome! What and, and what other bands you've been playing with? Other bands out there too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we've we've um, uh, the first time that we went over, um, we played with uh, at Nihil, which was uh, the project of my my friend uh, B9 Invid after. Uh, his band Lufafa split up. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I I, I love Lufafa. Yeah, a great project. But he he formed at Nihil and and uh, we're good friends. And so we went over and played in Germany together. And uh, we did we actually did two two tours with at Nihil. And then most recently, when we went the last time, it was Owen and uh, Boyd Rice. And so we did a, a couple of shows over in Europe together. Wow, I bet that's intense. It was. It was. It was, it was a great time. It's, you know, it's uh, invaluable that time just uh, spending with him and and getting to hear all the stories. He's got an excellent memory and a great sense of humor. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. <laughs> no, that sounds intense. Um, and I'm sure I probably told you before. I I met uh, Boyd like in 1990 seven I think when they were touring with Death in June um, and it was at the Dome Room in Chicago I just met him through, uh, through Thomas Thorne and we just like talked for like a couple of seconds and he was just a, yeah. a real nice guy I mean he was like such a nice guy um, yeah but you know we didn't really well, yeah that was, yeah, that was... <laughs> did you hear that, that, was, that was... Yeah, what was going on there? It sounded like uh, like somebody had a, a big uh, crunchy piece of uh, plastic or something behind you. I don't know. 
That was your music is what that was. <laughs> oh, <laughs> all right. Well, that's perfect. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's exactly how we intended it to sound. <laughs> I think I hit the space bar and it and it and it and it was ready to go. So, oh, okay. <laughs> so I was going to Anyhow. take that tour that night. That '97 tour, I saw them too in Fort Worth, and it was just yeah, that was I was I was blown out of the water by that. And you know, Strength Through Joy and and Boyd and Death in June, it was just an amazing amazing tour. Oh yeah, that was at the height of the uh, the the to, to, to me. That's like at the height of the total war thing um, yeah that he had going on at the time um and it was just amazing so i mean so you you obviously he's like seeing what he's doing now is it is it how does it compare to that is it what's it like now well if you see if you see boyd live he's he's never going to play more than 30 minutes <laughs> uh-huh. and, and it's going to be um, now with his sets uh, he's got a mixture of, of the noise stuff that you come to expect and also some spoken things too from what I've heard he's got a new album finished and he said that it's his most minimal thing he's ever done and I haven't heard it yet but wow. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to, to hear it once I do it's called Blast of Silence <laughs> is it just like yeah. is it just like a silent album? Because I'm trying to imagine think... more minimal. Is how can it be more minimal than the non stuff? <laughs> I don't. I don't think it's going to be that literal. I don't think it's going to be a dog tail thing. But I, I, you know, <laughs> but if it, if it is, that's genius. <laughs> but uh, no, he he said it does sound different on every sound system that he's played it on. So so there is some kind of audio there. I don't know if it's if it's drones tones. I don't know what's going on with it, but I. I'm looking forward to hearing it. Uh, very interesting. Yeah. So, what are the um, what what are the crowds been like in in Europe? Oh, they're great. Uh, we played a festival called Runes and Men, and that was the most people that we had ever ever played to before. And I don't know how many people were in that hall in Germany, but there must it's it seemed like three thousand people or something. It was just you wow. look out, and the whole thing is just like people all the way to the back, and they're all staring uh-huh. straight up. You know. <laughs> That was that was the biggest crowd that we played for, but um, all the European crowds, especially in Germany, they're they're uh, they're all wonderful. It seems to be where the majority of our fan base is right now is is over in Northern Europe. It seems. I wish more people in uh, in the states would kind of you know pick up the uh, the vibe of what we're doing, but I think it's kind of hard for any band in our genre really right now. Yeah, and maybe that's changing. Maybe it's changing. I don't know. One can hope. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's like the, the the environment in America to me seems like pretty um, unfriendly to anything, you know, outside of a, a really narrow definition of what is, you know, good and and and, and acceptable, you know. Yeah, art and music. everybody's everybody's just uh, they've got this this sickness, there's this, this virus that's spreading across uh, American culture and you, you see it across the West in general and it's just this obsession with some kind of identity politics and it's poisoning mm-hmm. everything, I think. It's really <laughs> unfortunate and, well, I guess, I don't know. You know, it depends on how you look at it. It depends on the, the stance that you take with it. You know, some people can find good in all diseases, I guess, but... <laughs> 
it's it, it could be inconvenient. I'll put it that way. <laughs> Do you feel that that disease is is not taking over in Europe or not taking over as much, or or how does is there a difference? Well, I, I think I think it's it's been virulent in Europe, and and the U.S. is catching up to it. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I mean, the, the the you know whenever we've gone overseas and we were in Milan and we were going around and we're like, oh great, we're going to go see the center of fashion and blah blah blah, and we're driving around and it's graffiti all over the walls and Antifa and you know a cab and everything all over the place. And I'm just like, oh, this this is supposed to be the center of culture. This is supposed to be the center of fashion, and these people are scared to take this graffiti or they tolerate it anyway to take the graffiti uh-huh. down from the walls. It's just yeah. Wow. I, I don't know. It's it's a shame. Right. So you see it in no, parts of Germany are... too. Uh huh. And it it looks like you know you you go to see a nice part of Germany and and it looks like East LA or something you know they because they they call it oh it's street art no it's it's called graffiti <laughs> <laughs> and you should clean it up. <laughs> and so my friend. Um... Stefan, I have this friend Stefan that um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's even possible you might have met, met Stefan at one point. Um, he was over, he was in Houston on a uh, doing like an internship for his work, and he's from East Germany originally. And okay. and we got to be good friends, and he, he he came out with us with Asmodee Sex. He came out, you know, on um, when we were doing little um, you know regional shows and stuff, um, and then. I went over after he went back then like uh you know Jen my wife and I we went over and um to the way Gothic trap in you know this was like 2006 I want to say and we we're hanging out over there just having a great time it was wonderful we we're like oh my god you know life's is so amazing um yeah. you know Europe is so amazing um and and Berlin of course you know Berlin has has um has always had some uh, a little more of that urban kind of like feel to it, but mm-hmm. yeah. but it was fine and he felt safe everywhere. And and when I talked to Stefan years later, um, and this was by now this was like maybe four five years ago, he said yeah. he was like moving, trying to move out of the city. He said it's not safe here anymore. You can't really come here and walk around anymore. And everything wow. that you're hearing in America about immigration crisis and 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 uh, you know um, you know the rape situation that's, uh, that's happening yeah. over there, he said everything you're hearing in America is is watered down. It's much worse than any of the information that we're getting here. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's 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 a shame, you know. It's, but what are, you know, what are they going to do about it, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's 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 a real crisis for them over there, and, and everybody, you know, is scared to say anything about it because they don't want to be called hateful, or you know, that they, they have actual laws about what you can say and do over there too. If you want to try to change anything, yeah. so it's a complicated situation for them. I understand that, but my heart goes out to them. And you know, this is one of the things that really that that, that disturbs me about. I guess the movement that's occurring in America right now is the um, the threat to freedom of speech. It's the emphasis right. on on language, 
it really freaks me out because, you know, th- this is the other thing I remember about, like, when I was, you know, traveling to Europe um, mm-hmm. and, and, and going outside of the States is that, you see, they don't, they don't have that thing about speech. Or so they've always, they've always had, like, laws about there's certain words you can't use, you can't say this, and, and right. it's, not just, it's not just manners. No, there's a law against it. And right. you will oh, be arrested. So weird. We, yeah. Right. And we thought that's so weird because in America we can say anything we want, right? Now there's yeah, bad it's an there's it's things an that you don't policy. say. Yeah. Right. But there's not any threat that you're going to be arrested because of your, you know, language. Mm-hmm. And and it feels like that's changing. It feels like that's changing, and, and and maybe it's what what you said that it's like America is like catching up to catching up to Europe in that regard. I think it is. I think it is, and, I, and more is the pity. I think really, you know. But uh, I don't know. It's 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 a changing culture, too, and what they're willing to tolerate, and what the new culture's ideals are, what their agendas are, and mm-hmm. you know. People people say use the word culture war a lot, but I think it's uh, it's a real thing. But it's just kind of a it's kind of a sleeping war. I don't think you're going to see people actually so much taking up arms and getting out in the streets over it because they're still going to be incapacitated by the social media and you know mm-hmm. all of the all of the little uh, commercial distractions that we all have and enjoy, you know. <laughs> But it, you'll see it gradually change, and things will be stripped away. You know, in a couple of generations, people won't even remember things like that. It's kind of how those things work, it seems. No, they do. They skip generations. So I'm watching all the lunar. Have you been watching the lunar landing stuff? Um, I've heard about it on the on the radio when I've been driving. Right. I haven't so actually like seen it's, it. It's the fiftieth anniversary of Apollo Eleven. So yeah. they're just running all these pro- all this propaganda stuff about America to the moon, which yeah. you know, I, and I'm not going to get into whether I think <laughs> we landed on the moon or not, but I think there's reasonable. It's a reasonable conversation to have about whether that happened. Right. You know, it's, it's reasonable to have a conversation about, you know, did that happen or did that not happen? Um, and there's compelling um, there's compelling arguments for both sides. However. Right. I noticed that they'd set a new goal of getting to the moon by, um, what is it? It's like 2020-something. It's somewhere 20, in the future. 2024, like, you know, I think. I, I heard it yesterday. Yeah. 2024, they were like. Yeah. With the, goal, with the end goal of being getting to Mars, getting a man on Mars, I think. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, well, you realize what, what's, what's happened here is that it's been put off so long that the whole generation of people that could have like possibly been there for it are all going to be de- dead by then. Right. Right. <laughs> like only young people who've like really grown up on the myth of it, not the myth, but the propaganda, the imagery of it, which may or may not right. be accurate, you know, and certainly right. there's no, there's no imagery that you and I ever have in our, ever in our lives seen that was not doctored already. You know, of the moon, or, or people walking around on it. You know, and you're you're saying this in Houston, it's sacrilege. It's that's the safe country right there. I know. I know it is. It's sacrilege. I feel bad. Second, sir. Yeah, I feel bad. <laughs> but no, if you, if you think about it, if you think about it, right? 
I do happen to believe that we did it, but I, I, I think okay. it's a miracle that it happened because we just had transistor radio technology. I mean, you know, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's a miracle that it happened, that the television projection actually managed to work the last second, that we could actually see it happen, and that all of them didn't die, that they didn't crash into a crater, you know, <laughs> and that they actually managed to get back home. It's, it's, it is miraculous, but I, I do believe that it did happen. But yeah, the, the, and now they're saying it's going to take 20, till 2024 to get back there again. So we've gone back that far in our ability to make this thing happen. And of course, mm-hmm. what it comes down to is money and interest. We had the great motivator. We had to beat the Russians, right, in the space race. So right. that, was, that was priority number one. We could throw all of our funds at that, all of everything that would have normally been diverted to the fat cats and the other sides of the military and everything else. I mean, well, let's put it into this so that we can beat them and be there first. And right. now it's, it's not such a priority. So, yeah, now it's going to take till 2024 to get the damn thing done. That doesn't make any sense. The only answer is money, I think, right? <laughs> well, again, I mean, what the, 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 the factor that is behind the money and all these things is the fact that it's a government program. And the, so the government has ordained that it's going to handle that. You know, you get up into airspace, you know, too far, and it's like the government comes in and says, no, we own this. We, we have domain here. And, yeah. you know, and then this, you know, Elon Musk comes along, you know, um, you know, free market entrepreneur and everything, pushing things, you know, pushing up the game, saying, well, I'm just going to do it. Well, eventually, though, what happens is he gets co-opted. He's been co-opted now. He's been incorporated right. into, like, the, in, into, like, the whole scene. But now they're like, well, we'll use his energy and his resources and everything to, uh, to get it going again, you know. But I think yeah. before that, I think NASA was mainly most of their – they were spending most of their time just trying to make better um, fake videos, you know, of people you know, right. with their hair, their hair sprayed up on the International Space Station, you know, to look like they're right. in zero gravity and, and uh, yeah. silly things like that. But. <laughs> I was just thinking about this. I'm sure other people have written about this. But I was just wondering if how many people have explored this concept, you know, kind of the, uh, the esoteric and the occult aspects of penetrating our atmosphere, going in and actually touching down and having a man on the moon. You know, you can kind of go into that. That's, that's kind of an interesting concept to me. I was just now mulling over that. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of uh, occult uh, implications of it. So a lot of um, esoteric systems look at the moon as being um, like actually kind of a step down from Earth, like in the organic right. in the system of organic life because because – the moon is in Earth's orbit, right? So the moon is like owned by the Earth. It's like beyond it's the like Earth. It's like slave to our orbit. Yeah. Exactly. It's a, the moon is a slave to the Earth. Earth is mm-hmm. a slave to the sun. Sun is a slave to whatever, the category of all suns, all of the universe and stuff like this. Right. So there's this, this idea there. So in that sense, really all this trouble of going to the moon is kind of going – it's, it's kind of going downwards, it's kind of going backwards in the scheme of like the evolution of the universe, you know, we're getting right. further away from getting out of the solar system by going to the moon in that sense. Right. Yeah. But you can also look at the lunar aspect as, you know, uh, if you, if you want to look kind of more left-hand path and, you know, the moon and representation of darkness is actually making physical contact with, 
with that thing itself. You know, it's oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's where my mind was going initially. It was, I thought that was kind of yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah. No, it's pretty. It's pretty mind blowing. Um, I hope it's real. See, the other thing, as, as skeptical as I am about the moon, I really want to believe it really bad. I want to believe that man has yeah. power, power to transcend this existence. You know, like like, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of Nietzsche and the idea that yeah. the whole the human condition means transcending human. Right. That, that's what it means right. to be human is to want to transcend the human condition and to strive to do it. And it's something that humans have done, you know, despite tremendous, tremendously stupid, um, you know, setbacks here and there. We have in general, <laughs> you know, done that. You know, we created all kinds of libraries and uh, stuff like that. So it's like I want to believe that. I want to believe that we are going to go out into space. And, I, and Mars is what I'm really interested in Mars. I really want us to go there. Yeah. That's where all of my occult, um, occult, um, excitement is stemming from. Right, yeah. And, and so, like, you know, you you kind of wonder, is, is there an occult agenda behind the space program, too? You know, <laughs> we could go to other planets. We're choosing Mars. First we went to the moon, now we're going to go to Mars. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting to me. I've, I've, you know, I hadn't thought about it really necessarily before. It was just kind of popping into my head. But, but yeah, I yeah. agree with you on the Nietzschean aspect of it. And I, I think it's one of the things that makes us the most exceptional animal, too, you know, is, is the knowledge and the ability yeah. uh, and the will, the will to, to do those things. Definitely. So tell me about Awen. What does the name mean? Um, it's it's an old uh, pre-Welsh uh, Britonic word that means poetic inspiration. Oh, okay. Yeah, and um, I I found it in a book uh, that I was I was reading uh, once, and it was talking about how the old um, uh, Welsh uh, poets and things they had rituals that they would go through in order to get contact from the deities. That the Alwyn was a gift to them, you know, that would be. Uh, put into their into their minds, and that would be the inspiration. And uh, there were different little rituals and stuff that they would go through. They would chew a piece of um, pork or something, and then sleep on one side or whatever to hope to kind of inspire this thing. You know, everybody's always tried to figure out a way to get inspiration and how to make that thing happen. And it's such it's such a, a fickle thing sometimes, you know, the, the muses choose you, you don't choose the muses. It's generally kind of how <laughs> I feel about it. <laughs> if you try to force it, it's, it's not generally going to be the, the best thing that you do, I, I think, but other people disagree with that. You know, there are writers that say that they go into it like a job and they make sure that they just devote six or eight hours of a day to doing the thing. And then whatever comes out, you know, they, they whittle the dross away and then they get something from it. I don't, it's like panhandling or something, you know, I, I don't know, maybe it works for them, but it doesn't for me. <laughs> as, as, do you have a process like that? For musical creation? Yeah. Or just creativity in general. Do you, do you, can you force it to happen? Can you, can you go and do it or do you just, will you just be doing something mundane, like, you know, washing your hair in the shower or something and then wham, it comes into your head and you, you've got to write it down. You got to, you got to do it or whatever. You know, it's a combination of both. It's both of them. So, you know, sometimes I'll sit down and I'll just 
bang out like you know three different song ideas, you know, mm-hmm. or I'll start like like a couple of books or something, or a couple of writing pieces or something, and just like bang out like the basic pieces of it. And then I never like sit in, I, I never sit and complete anything end to end like in you know in a reasonable amount of time. I always like walk away right. from it and leave it in some kind of state of incompletion. And then I'll get ideas. I get the best ideas at the weirdest times, like while I'm at work or, like you said, while I'm in the shower, someplace where I can't write it down or I can't actually work on it right now. I'll get the best idea in the world. I'm like, you've got to remember yep. this, got to remember this. And then, you know, whatever. You know, 48 hours later, you're sitting in front of the computer or whatever again. You're like, what was that idea? I cannot fucking remember it. <laughs> that's that's why these these damn phones are so amazing for me because I can I can make a note in it or I can use a voice recording thing and and get a yeah yeah, yeah. And so I, yeah I I do use that because I would have that before you know in years past where it would just it would just be gone and then you know the yeah. further you try to grasp for it the further it goes away from you teasingly you know <laughs> yeah until it's not anything like it was you know what you your original inspiration. <laughs> How did you originally get into doing music? When did you first start it? When did you realize this is the thing you were supposed to do? Yeah. Um, well, I had a, I bought a reel-to-reel tape player, and that was probably 1996 or 97, and mm-hmm. I started doing experimentations with it. Um, I, would, I would take uh, classical music and I would slow it down, and then I would record overdubs onto it and then do pitches and slowing down and, and physically manipulate the tape a little bit. And um, so I started experimenting with that. And uh, then I got a four-track uh, tape recorder, which I learned mm-hmm. I could do even more with. And mm-hmm. um, a lot of the early Alwyn songs, several of the early Alwyn songs anyway, um, actually started from that experimentation with some friends of mine. And uh, that that project was called From Teeth Truth, but none of those recordings have ever seen the light of day yet. So that was, yeah, that was uh, pre-2000. That was all uh, late 90s that I started getting into that. So you and basically I just, I started out with the, the, the loops and samples and, 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 and tape-like mm-hmm. angle of it. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, and I just, I was really interested in, in hearing sounds that um i couldn't easily identify uh-huh. that would sounded that sounded new that sounded different and sounded disturbing and yeah so it, it, my initial experiments were were trying to do things like that that would make the listener go like i, I can't place what that is what is that and it makes me right. feel uncomfortable <laughs> and, I, and I've gotten I, I've gotten ever more conventional sense apparently because now now we're, we've we've got untreated guitars. And <laughs> well, it still makes me a little bit uncomfortable. All right, well there you go, doing something right. <laughs> I hear that though from people like people that will will see us and and they've never seen us before and. You know, if they if they come up and talk to me, they they're usually kind of a little anxious, and then they'll say something like, "You, you know, you made me feel uncomfortable." <laughs> like, well, <laughs> it's not. Well, on you purpose, can get but. you can get that much further with it if it's like if it's just if if you know 
if you know, you know when you get into noise music and it's like you know here here's my song and it's just something you know it's like fingers on a chalkboard or something right, it definitely right. makes everyone feel uncomfortable you know <laughs> well that's that's as far as like this music is going to go but if you can put in like you know if you use like like Mary Poppins says a, spo- a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine right. go down or um, uh, Anton LaVey had a law of uh, nine parts respectability combined with one part outrage. So right, yeah. You, yeah, everything about your presentation is totally nor- totally cool and respectable. There's one part of it that's just like, you know, just like completely incites people. It's like, it's like that's like a virus. It's like, it's like contained within, you know, within a candy coating though, and it can like go that much further. Yeah. 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 I, I agree with that, you know, because I, I don't think I'm an outrageous looking person, but when, when we get up there, whenever we record or whenever we get up to do a live show with, I'm definitely channeling something that comes through and, and people can pick up on that. And, you know, you'd be like, right. well, they, he looks like a normal, nice guy, but then this thing came through and, you know, the hackles went up on, on my skin. You know? <laughs> yeah. No, you're just, you are a nice-looking man. I can confirm that. Uh, for all the, the, this is just an audio interview, so people don't get to see you. You know who I thought you looked like? Who the? I thought that you looked like um, Mark Hollis from Talk Talk. Oh wow! I, yeah, you know who I'm figure. talking about? <laughs> yeah, I know Talk Talk. I'm trying to remember what the guy looks like. <laughs> okay. Well, hey, I'll I'll take it. I I hope you mean that well. <laughs> oh no, it's like one of my favorites. No, and I was like, uh, no, lo- let me tell you, 1980. When was that? 84, 85, or something. Talk yeah. Talk's first album. Their first album, not when they got on MTV and they're doing "It's My Life" and stuff, but their first album. It's really dark. It's called um, Fantastic. Yeah. It's called the part. It's uh, the party's over. And it's got, it's like their setup was like a, a drum machine with a, a, a guy playing trigger pads and then a guy playing bass, like a fretless bass is really good. And then just a keyboard player and that's it. And then Mark Hall is like singing and it's really cold sound, a really cold kind of like dark, you know, 80s kind of, you know, new wave. Um, I, I love that stuff. That's what I mostly listen to is, is kind of new romantic and, and new wave and, you know, the, yeah. the early experimental uh, kind of proto-industrial stuff. Right. Cool. Like what? So, so what kind of things, when you were starting to do your tape exper- experiments, what, what sorts of music were you inspired by? What were you listening to? Oh, um, I had a girlfriend, I, because I grew up in San Antonio, and mm-hmm. I, moved, I moved away from there in the early 90s. But I had a girlfriend who had an older friend, uh, who lived in Florida, and her name was uh, Chantel, and she would make her all of these mixtapes, these fantastic mixtapes, and it had things on there like Coil and Throbbing Gristle and Cone 93 and Death in June and Nick Cave and Swans and all of these bands mm-hmm. that I was borrowing my girlfriend's tapes and not returning them, and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and learning about all this stuff and just like playing it over and over again, like, wow because I, I never heard music that had done exactly what I wanted since I was a kid to hear, which was mm-hmm. where you could, you could um, do essentially like uh, 
poetry recitation um, and strange, stark, abstract sounds together mm-hmm. and have it be an acceptable record that people would put out and, and people would listen to. And, you know, just mm-hmm. the, the atmosphere, the dark atmosphere that was coming out of, out of the sounds of those mixtapes made the impression on me. So that was, that was really the inspiration. And it, the funny thing is, I never thought I'd get to meet Chantel, but um, when we uh, played a show, we opened for Death in June in Austin, and she showed up. She came from Florida. And Whoa. Uh, we got to actually meet at the show, and that was fantastic. Wow. <laughs> and I told her, I, 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 said, I said, you're the reason for me even doing any of this, so thank you so much. Wow. It's, it's an honor to meet you. you know? That's a great story. Needleful, <laughs> bringing people together. <laughs> yeah, and we're still in contact today through uh, through Facebook and stuff. So, real awesome. nice. <laughs> So, so you're into that kind of stuff. So then, what was your gateway into the needlefolk realm? When did you decide that you wanted to do that? Oh, I would have to say when I bought the uh, the vinyl record of '93 Dead Sun Wheels. That yeah, was, that, was a, that was a game changer for me. I, I read this and I was like, "That is it. That's that's it. Uh-huh. That's the sound. You know, you have all of the elements there together. You have you have the uh, that magnificent sounding guitar. You have the loops going on. You have that uh, that kind of uh, delivery, that vocal delivery going on. It's just all of it together it was just a, yeah. encapsulated a, a sound that really spoke to my soul. You know? Yeah. I can identify with that. So the first Death in June I heard was uh, Heaven Street, definitely Heaven Street, that, that song. Yep. Um, maybe other songs around it, but that song specifically I heard. And at the time, I, in my mind, it was like I associated this as being like, uh, like Joy Division, Joy Division, like the next step from it, because I was like, I was yeah. into Joy Division. I was into Joy Division, not at the time they came out. It's like, you know, it was all over by the time I discovered any of this stuff. But um, right. I loved Joy Division. And then, oh, then there's something called New Order. And it's like, well, the first album is kind of good, but then the rest of it, 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 it sucks, you know? It's, right. it's, like, yeah. not, what, it, it's like some kind of like dance. It's like teenage makeout music or something, right? <laughs> right. So, yeah. Uh, that was no, my, that and, was and, and you know, I'm, I'm probably being too rough on it. Actually, okay, I like the, I like the new order now. But when I was a young, angstful kid on the verge of either, you know, uh, suicide or maybe a school shooting, you know, Joy Division, like, appealed to me. And then Death in June was just slight, was like the next stage in that, right? It had the darkness. Yeah. It had the, the basic, real basic bass and guitar and and, uh, and, and and the vocals were the same, and plus they added, you know, some weird sounds of sampling. That's kind of how I associated it at the time. Yeah, yeah. And to be honest, they're probably fantastic. now the only thing that is even close to that feel that still exists, really. Yeah. Heaven Street's so great, too, because just like you say, you know, it's, it's got that kind of post-punky, uh, Joy Division-y feel to it, but then it's got yeah. this, this weird kind of sonar bleep that's monotonously just keeps going and, and yeah. somehow that just makes it even darker, you know, yeah. <laughs> you're like, you feel, you feel like you're, you're uh, in a U boat or you're in a bunker or something. You, it just feels oppressive even, you know, it's, it's genius. Yeah. 
And so what about um, what about uh, Throbbing Gristle and that whole side of things? Did you ever have any exposure to that? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, Genesis Bjorge has been an inspiration for me, um, especially with Throbbing Gristle work. It's, yeah. you know, Hamburger Lady, come on. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's 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 one of that's another one of the tracks that I first heard and I was like, Wow, you know, I've I've never heard anything that has these kinds of sounds that I can't identify and this disturbing kind of sickly feeling to it and you can't you can barely make out what he's talking about, but you know it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> there's something good. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's there's something about a woman at a hospital and thanks to medical advances she can't die so that's well that doesn't sound great and then you hear the swell you know and it's like oh it's genius <laughs> you know it isn't going to end well right yeah yeah I, I never liked films that gave you a happy ending like that anyway <laughs> so that is that um third is a third annual report Second mm-hmm. annual report, maybe it's third annual. Yeah, third, second or third annual report, I think, is that album. That is Hamburger Lady, and yeah. um, what else is it? It second, has second, like a, second, some, annual, second annual report. Second annual report. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, mm-hmm. That album is so good because each song on it, including Hamburger Lady, is like, I mean, they're all real songs, right? Because there's that mm-hmm. other like other noise albums and stuff like that that are basically the same thing. And you just like yeah. listen to it once and it's like, oh, there's a bunch of noise. I'll remember it. But it's like that second annual <laughs> report. It's like each song is like a thing unto itself. And I don't know if yes. it's because of, of how they did it or it's because of the time period that it came out and the time that I heard it. It's like it, it was so unique that it occupied you know, it immediately occupied the bandwidth that I had in myself for that, that kind of sound. But, I mean, there's just something really, really, really great about that album and about the, the things that uh, Driving Gristle was doing at the time. Like, they invented the whole industrial thing, industrial records. I mean... Yeah. Yeah, and, and they, were, they were friends with that, uh, that fashion designer that designed their, their urban camouflage uniforms that they would wear. So they would have this, this camouflage look, this kind of paramilitary look. Yeah, um, I, I don't. Do, do you do you follow um, the uh, the French publisher? Uh, I, I might butcher this in the French, but I think it's Riva, Timeless. Do you know about that? Um, I don't he out, know. He he puts out books, um, you know, uh, affiliated with this this kind of thing. Well, he he's uh, put out a book of the uh, the original designs that this fashion designer had had done, and she's since become apparently very famous but um, had a, a book signing with her and some of the original uh, Throbbing Gristle uniforms there. And uh-huh. it's, it's, I, I saw the pictures online. I was like, oh, well, that's, that's amazing. That's a piece of history right there. And there she is, you know, yeah. the design them, you know. Wow. <laughs> and I think that they're probably the first um, musical artists I saw that really incorporated a militant kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and they were, they were being kind of naughty with it, too, you know, despite what yeah. Peter Christopherson and other people might say later. But, yeah, their Lightning Flash logo was very reminiscent of Mosley's thing. And, you know, they, they had a British Union of Fascists, old elderly people that were, you know, walking around them in the streets, 
you know, and, and nobody yeah. wanted to talk about the war anymore. And there they were putting on paramilitary uniforms and putting a lightning flash on their sleeves. <laughs> you know, of, yeah. course, of course, they were tweaking people's ears. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, pretty amazing, pretty ballsy to do at the time, actually. And um, Manson, too. That's another thing. I think they're the first to, like, bring in Charles Manson stuff into their – and make that, like, mm-hmm. a, a centerpiece of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, nobody was really interested in that stuff at that time except for, for people like them and, and people that they knew that were using that kind of stuff and really kind of focused on it. Everybody else was just like, oh, this is like this – you know, pop culture distraction thing or, or he's the devil or whatever, you know, but they were actually kind of looking into other aspects of it, it seemed. Yeah. So you see they're making that man. Oh, no, this is what I wanted. I was going to talk about the Manson movie. I want to ask you if you've seen um, Midsummer. Everybody keeps asking me about this. I haven't yet. I've heard I've I've heard all kinds of things about it that it's supposed to be like a new Wicker Man kind of movie and stuff. So you know, people whose opinions I respect um, have told me that I need to see this thing, and I guess I should. I guess I should see it uh, probably in a theater. Yeah. And if it is that good, I want to get the full experience of it. But have have you seen it? I have. Did you like it? I saw it at the I saw it at the Alamo Draft House. Okay, um, that's where I would go that, if I were to go see it. Yeah, me too. If I'm going to go see a movie in the theater, I'm only going to the Alamo Drive. There's nowhere else I will go. Once you yep. drink beer in a movie, you cannot go to a regular movie theater again where it's all and, you know popcorn and children and stuff. That's the other thing I love about it. You can drink alcohol there, and they kick people out that make noise and pull their phones out, which I love. Uh, yeah. You know, those people should be <laughs> actually pulled around back in the alley and shot in the head. But, you know, at least they get them out of the movie so it doesn't bother you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Dude, you and I, we need to go to the movies together sometime. We're totally on the same page with this. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we go you, you to like the, we, we, we only go to um, it's La Sentera, which is like, on the other side of Katy, there used to be an Alamo draft house in Katy, which, okay. you know, we live in the middle of Houston, so that's actually like a 30-minute drive. But then that closed down, and they opened a bigger one just north of it, and that's the one we go to. So we still drive. I mean, we will drive 40 minutes to go to a movie theater because it's Alamo draft house. Great. Um, but, yeah, we saw that movie, and um, – yeah, it's it's an interesting film. It's just it's it's really interesting. It's the guy who made um, Hereditary, and yeah, right. Which, and we just Katrina and I just watched that the other night because other people okay, had recommended it to us. So, what did you think about Hereditary? I thought it was uneven, if I'm honest. Um, mm-hmm. I I liked certain elements in it, and. Um, well, I guess for people that haven't seen it, I don't want to give anything away, but, but the... Uh, oh, it's been the out head. there for a while. I've, I've talked about it on the show before, too. So anyone listening oh. to the show, it's like you, you missed your chance. It's like you're going to... Okay, then. I'm, I'm a horror movie fan, and, and I was really impressed by the severed head with the ends. I thought, uh-huh. I thought that, was, that was really, really well done. 
Um, uh-huh. Where I thought it was uneven was in the storyline and what he was trying to get across and the attempt at the occult aspect of it, I thought was, was a little uneven, <laughs> especially uh-huh. the ending. <laughs> but, yeah. So, so here's what I thought. The first time we we're going through, it, it's, it's like the whole thing is unveiled. Really, the whole movie is about, oh, it's a goetic demon at the end, right? That's what right. it's all right. leading up to. And, right. and, and, and I, I, I figured that got, out about halfway through and I was like, okay, well, there's going to be a reveal or something here that this is leading right. to. You know? Right. There's going to be a reveal. And I was starting to see the stuff and I was like, Oh, is that like a, so that was like, maybe that's a goetic image or something. And so then mm-hmm. that's what it is. It's a goetic demon. And that's really exciting. The first time you did it just because it's a new stage in Hollywood. Cause usually right. when Hollywood does it, a, a, a Satan movie or a demon movie, they get it all wrong. You yep. know, that, you know, you know, the guy, no one on this movie has read any books about this. You know, the only exception to this in all of the history of this, this genre is maybe, maybe Rosemary's baby. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Which actually this film was very similar to that. Um, in yeah. in some ways, with the big reveal yeah, I thought so. at the end. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. all of them witches at the end, and and you get your Rosemary's Baby feeling. But then I went back <laughs> right. and I watched the movie. Yeah, and it's like, oh yeah, it's goetic. Wow, that's radical. I went back and watched it again afterwards, the second time through, and mm-hmm. and I was like, you know, my only problem here here's what I don't like about this is like no one in this movie is good. There's no good people in this movie. No one wins. Yeah. There's no hero. There's no hero in it. I mean, even because well, Rosemary's Baby even does have that, right? Rosemary's yeah, Baby right. has this, this thing at the end where she's like, oh, and then witches, and she freaks out, and they're all bad. But then she starts rocking the baby. So there's, like, yeah. there's this, this question at the end about her relationship to it. Maybe, maybe she's going to you know, be involved with whatever, the, the reign of Satan on earth, and, 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 there's, and, there's and a maybe her motherhood is more important, right? Right, yeah. Her motherhood is like the important thing, but I don't know. It has these questions, but um, hereditary didn't have that. It's like it's just oh well, he killed a bunch of people. The only person who was good was the father, right? He's like yeah, he's like trying to ha- trying to help his son not get um, freaked out by his his mother, who obviously has mental health issues. And, but, but then he gets like burned alive or something. So the only good person is just destroyed. So yeah, and that's like, what I was thinking too. Like, like what is even real in this by the ending of the movie? You can't tell right. how much of it is, is her paranoid schizophrenia. Is this really, was there really a goetic demon? I don't know. You know? Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, you, you don't even know. And, and no one is good. Anyhow, it's like the people who portray, who are the, the cult worshipers, well, they're just a bunch of like mindless hippies, you know, who are just like, you know, they're they're in love with they're in love with some deity. They're just thronging around this deity like like Christians would, and yeah. um and and the guy who's supposedly Paimon now. I mean, well, what's he gonna do? Just go around and and kill people? What's his purpose? You know, right? Yeah. So it, it looks like it looks like a little skinny weird puppet thing in there up in the treehouse or whatever's going on. You know? Yeah. <laughs> It was it was really very strange. It was a very strange movie. Yeah, <laughs> but I I felt like it could have been a little more clear in what it was trying to get across. Yeah, because I know I know other people that didn't have any point of reference to any of that stuff were just walking out of seeing that thing, going, "What? 
what is that? That's, that's nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is because they could probably piss down a lot of people off. Yeah. And so midsummer, you know, I'm not going to say anything about midsummer right now, but I'll say it's very colorful. Yeah. Very colorful. Um, I think there's more clear, like there's, there's condemnation of certain, certain things. There's, there's like some social, I, I feel there's some social criticisms like going on, there's some social analysis going on in it. Um, okay. And, um, and that's all I'll say. It's all, it's very colorful. It's very European. It's like, you know, <laughs> Swedish pagans frolicking in the fields and, 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 and it's, you know, it's very much in the style of Wicker Man. Of course, there's a dark secret, you know, yep. there's going to be a reveal. Um, so, yeah. What, one, of, one of my friends whose opinions I respect uh, came out of the movie and, and, and texted me and he goes, that was the most neo-folk film I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> So I would see, yeah, I don't know if you'd agree with that or if he was just having a bit of fun or not. But. <laughs> it, you know, I would say that, you know, I, I would stop short of saying that because it's daylight the whole time. You can't have the most okay. beautiful movie ever and it's like daylight Study. constantly and, and pretty colors. and. So. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to check it out. Maybe, maybe uh, next weekend if it's still at an Alamo over yeah. here. Yeah, check it out. Let me know what you think about it. Hello. Yeah. So, um, so what else is going on with Owen? You got shows coming up? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, in October, we're going to be in Europe at the time of the release of the record um, for the first show oh. that we play in Germany, and uh, then we're only doing two shows this year. Uh, over in Europe. So we're going to play in uh, Germany and then uh-huh. um, we're going to play in Belgium after. So just wow. the two dates this time. And we're only going over there because of the record. So hopefully hopefully uh, people come and, and check it out. Um, the first show um, we're playing actually with the band Changes. They were kind of a proto-neo-folk band. Uh, Robert Taylor. Oh, okay. Um, and Nicholas Tesluk. So it's an honor to play with those guys. And then wow. the second second show, we're going to be playing with a band called Rome. Okay. From from Luxembourg. And uh, Jerome from Rome is, has become a, a pretty good friend of mine, and he's actually on our new album. And ah. Katrina and I were on his last album that's just come out. Ah. So, so it's kind of a little incestuous thing going on there. <laughs> 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 so we're, talk, we're we're going to talk about maybe uh, joining each other uh, on stage for for a couple of songs here. Oh, it's very cool. Yeah. So what about the states? Are you going to do uh, do any shows in uh, Texas so we can check you out? Yeah, we we plan on it. Um, I'm talking to a couple of uh, promoters right now about trying to get something set up before and then after uh, these European shows, but we don't have anything nailed down yet. But as as soon as I do, we'll get it all up online and advertise. Awesome. I'd like to do a show with, with you again. I would like that also. Great. I think that would be groovy. And I was telling yeah. you, like I've been jamming, uh, jamming with, uh, as X again, and, and we've gotten, 
a little bit more um, acoustic, uh, mm-hmm. neo folky kind of Western-ish. And so um, I think it would be awesome if we did a show again. That would be a wonderful thing. I'd love it. Fantastic. Let's make it happen. Definitely. We'll go to you, uh, or you could come to us, uh, or both. Either yeah. Way. <laughs> we'll make it happen. Yeah. Well, cool. So, um, are we going to get to? Are we going to get to listen, listen to a song? Are we going to get to play a song on this show? <laughs> sure. Um, which Which one were you thinking? Did you have one chosen? I like the Hollow Hollow in the Stone, the title track for it. Okay, great. Um, and and maybe because uh, that song is really killer. I think it's really tight. I listen to. Uh, I like Perversity of Joy also. I like the um, Bridge of the Dark is good. Uh, mm-hmm. I like the Sickle and the Setting Sun. Um, honestly, there's just like a lot of really good songs on here. It's a really good album, man. I mean, Thank you. Yeah, Thank I'm you. I'm really impressed. You guys did really good with this. And so this is going to be a record, right? You're going to have a record release? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be a, a clear vinyl. And um, the way that, that this uh, German company does it, they put the vinyl uh, version out with a CD and a slipcase version with the vinyl. So it's like a, okay. you, get, you get a CD version with the 12-inch record version. Okay. Yeah. All right. And well. It's also, it's also going to be on iTunes and, you know, wherever anybody gets their music now, it's, it should be on all formats, digital as well. Excellent. Well, we're going to check out the hollow and the stone here. And Aaron, do you have any final words for everyone out there? Well, I would say follow your instincts. Yeah. (laughs) Never led me wrong. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, awesome. Thanks for uh, coming and chatting with us this evening, man, and, and keep doing the wonderful work that you're doing out there. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's, it's been an honor to, uh, to talk with you and, and a pleasure to meet up with you again. Excellent. All right. We'll talk again soon, brother. Uh, Witness to myself alone. 